several years ago, uh, when, when we were in Hawaii, I picked up a series of little books about the history of Christianity in Hawaii. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this little book or if you've read anything about the history of Christianity in the Hawaiian Islands, but this little book is about a Hawaiian man by the name of, I'm going to try to say it the Hawaiian way, Obo'okaya, Obo'okaya, Henry Obo'okaya. Henry was born, Henry is obviously his American name. Uh, his Hawaiian name is Obo'okaya. Uh, he was born to a royal family in Hawaii in the early 1800s. And in these days, Hawaii was its own kingdom and was still living by the kingdom principles and the rules and the laws of, of old Hawaii. And if you know anything about Hawaiian culture, you know that in those days, they had a whole system of what is known as kapu, K-A-P-U, kapu. And these were taboos, things that were strictly against the law for the Hawaiian people to do. And it ranged from anything from overfishing particular waters to um, men were prohibited from eating with women. Even if you were husband and wife, you could not share a meal together. If you were in the presence of royalty and if the royal person's shadow fell on a common person, they would put the common person to death. This was all part of this religious system called kapu. And, and one of the reasons that they held such strict adherence to these laws was because they believed that if you broke any of these taboos, that the gods of the volcanoes or the gods of the waters would come and would wipe out an entire civilization. Now, of course, this was based on legend because the people had lived in the shadow of the volcanoes and, and with, the, with the probabilities of hurricanes and tsunamis and all of those kinds of things. And they lived in constant fear, believing that these uh, environmental situations that would happen, an exploding volcano or a wave that came up uh, on shore, these were the results of the gods punishing people for doing something that the gods disapproved of. This was the life that this young man, Henry, was born into. Now, he was part of a royal family, but sadly, his mom and dad both died when he was very young, and so he began to be passed around from family member to family member, and his life was very hard. And as a, as a very young person, he watched the penalties of this kapu system be carried out. He watched as his aunt broke the law and ate a meal with a male member of her family and they pushed her over a cliff as punishment and as a sacrifice to the gods. This young man watched as, as people in his culture would make sacrifices to try to appease the volcano gods, sacrifices of pigs or other larger animals and quite often at important parts, times of the year, they would offer human sacrifices to the gods and, and young Henry was miserable and, and did not like at all what was happening. His, his whole life was very difficult, partly because of this system, this religious system he lived in, and partly because uh, his family had died and, and he really had no belonging. So, when an American ship moored in the harbor of the island that he lived in, he was presented an opportunity to become a deckhand and leave Hawaii, and he jumped at that opportunity. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what life would hold for him. But eventually the ship returned and he settled in the state of Connecticut in New England, early New England in the United States. 
As Henry settled into his life in the United States, he, he met some people of faith. He eventually came to live with a pastor and his family who introduced him to Jesus. And after some studying of the Bible and some, some deep soul searching and praying and reaching out to God, he fully embraced Jesus as the one true God and he became a dedicated Christian. And he gave his life to learning uh, to speak English, to read and write. And in the latter part of his life, he developed an alphabet for the Hawaiian people. And his vision was that he and a group of missionaries would go back to Hawaii uh, to bring Jesus to, to his, his people in the Hawaiian Islands. Now, tragically, Henry uh, caught uh, an American disease that he had no immunity to, and he died when he was very young. But before he died, he wrote his memoirs and expressed, it was like a love letter to his Hawaiian people, encouraging them to receive Jesus as the one true God. Now, because of his life and his testimony and his dramatic conversion to Jesus, the people in New England uh, had a fire lit in them to go and bring Jesus to the Hawaiian Islands. And so it wasn't long after Henry's death that a group of missionaries set sail. If you can imagine this, in those days there was no Panama Canal, so they had to, they had to sail all the way south around the tip of South America and then back up north to get to the Hawaiian Islands. I don't even know how long it took them to get there. Uh, but when they got there, the missionaries were surprised to see large fires burning on the islands. And they were a little bit alarmed, wondering if there was like some kind of war going on or what, what not. What they didn't know was in those intervening years, since Henry had left the islands until the present time, the Hawaiian people had been through a spiritual revolution of their own. King Kamehameha II had begun to suspect that all of the Kapu laws were just legends that weren't really real. Everybody was frustrated with all this rule keeping and the, and the murder of human people that violated any of those rules. And King Kamehameha II, once he became king, decided he was going to start testing the laws. One of the first things he did is he had a big royal dinner with his wife. I can't even begin to say her name because they're all these long Hawaiian names. He had dinner with his wife, and it was like he was shaking his fist at the volcano gods. Because the legend was, if you violate the kapu, the gods are going to wipe out your entire village. He had dinner with his wife, and guess what happened? Nothing. He kept pushing the envelope. He kept testing to see if the kapus were real, if this punishment and this this uh, cleansing would come from the gods, and it turns out that nothing ever happened. And so in time, King Kamehameha II decreed that all of the temples and all of the, the idols in the islands of Hawaii would be destroyed. And when the missionaries from Connecticut arrived in the Hawaiian Islands, what they witnessed was the burning of the temples and big stacks of wooden idols in the Hawaiian Islands. The people of Hawaii had completely abandoned their traditional religion. And then the missionaries arrived. They came, they brought uh, Henry Obookaya's book to the people, this love letter to his people, and they began to share Jesus with the Hawaiian people. And the people began to embrace Jesus and worship Jesus and receive the God of the Bible. They began to learn and read the Bible in their own language. And here's what's amazing to me that, that is recorded in, in history 
by the time this great awakening came to its climax, 96% of the Hawaiian people had become Christians. 96%. The kingdom of Hawaii in those days was statistically the most Christian nation of anywhere in the world. And if you travel to Hawaii, uh, these days you will, you will, in some parts of the islands, you will find remains of these ancient temples, but there's no idols, there's no standing temples anywhere. They were all eradicated in the early 1800s because the people came to faith in Jesus. It's an amazing thing. Here's what I want you to know about this story this morning. Historically, when legends and myths and fantasies and lies collide with truth, a great awakening can be launched. It happened in Hawaii when these people believed these legends and, and the myths that they had grown up with generationally, and they confronted these legends with truths, and it led to this great awakening in the Hawaiian islands. My question for you today is, could it happen to us today? Could it happen for us today that in our lifetime we could see a great awakening even here in our own land? Now, um, last week was the first Sunday of the new year, uh, and, and next week we're launching a brand new message series. It's going to be called Gate Check. I'm really excited about this message series. This has grown out of a message that Kelly had prepared for us last fall that we recognized was more than just a, a one Sunday message. It was going to be a series and, uh, and, and the, the idea of this message series that we're moving towards next week is that in the last couple of years, as, as a people, as a culture, we have closed some gates in our lives that need to be reopened. And at the same time, we've reopened some gates that need to be closed. And we're asking the Lord in these next six weeks, what gates of our lives need to be opened? Which ones need to be closed? And we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah and studying the gates around, uh, around the city. It's going to be an awesome message series. That starts next week. But today, um, as kind of the first Sunday or the second Sunday of 2023, I wanted to share with you what I was feeling was a word for this year. And for the last several weeks, um, lots of us have been praying and asking the Lord, uh, what, are, what are you saying to us for this year? How many of you do that at the beginning of the year? You just ask the Lord for, for a word for the year. Um, and I've heard a number of things. Last week after my message, uh, which was the end of the last series, uh, one person said they heard me use the word alignment. And this person said, I feel like that's my word for this year. I want to align my life with the priorities of the Father. That, that's a good word. Uh, my wife, Chris, has been hearing the word restoration, and she's shared that with a bunch of you. Uh, she's just feeling like what the Lord is going to be doing in this next year is a restoring in, in some things that we have lost and that the enemy has taken from us. Um, Kelly, you've been sharing the word harvest, and, and that's a word that has really deeply resonated with me. And, and I think Kelly and, and I, uh, in, in the future, I'm sure we'll be sharing on that topic. And, um, and this week as I was praying, there was a word that came to my attention that I felt like was the, the word that I wanted to share with you today. And it's the word truth. Truth. 
I was actually listening to a political podcast early in the week, and this particular podcaster who I would describe as a culture watcher, this is somebody that's paying close attention to what's happening in our culture, uh, his, his podcast this week was, was about the coming year. He, he was saying that in this coming year, 2023, our world is going to begin colliding with truth. Our world is going to begin colliding with truth. He said that in his mind, he sees it kind of like the rumblings that the, that the people on the Titanic must have felt when the bottom of that ship began to rub against that iceberg. He said he believes that many people in our culture today are beginning to hear the rumblings of this coming collision with truth because so many people have abandoned truth in their lives. And to me, when I was listening to this podcast, I felt this resonance in my spirit, and I'm like, God, is this what you are saying to us this year, that there is a coming collision with truth? If you've watched the news this week or uh, read papers or podcasts or whatever, you've probably heard somebody recognizing the passing of the previous pope, Pope Benedict the 16th. Do you remember? He was, he was called God's Rottweiler. Did you remember that? Um, now, this isn't the current pope. The current pope is still alive. Uh, this pope actually resigned when he felt like he couldn't carry out the duties of his office. But he was known as God's Rottweiler. Why? Because this pope, Pope Benedict, was a defender of truth in a culture of moral relativism. His, the theme of his whole life was truth. He stood for the truth. He spoke the truth. He championed the truth. In fact, this is one of the things that he said when he was speaking to bishops in the United States. He said this very famously. He said, the church in the U.S. is called in season and out of season to proclaim a gospel which not only proposes unchanging moral truths, but proposes them precisely as the key to human happiness and social prospering. Now, I don't agree with everything that the Pope says. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I thought this was a really interesting thing that made it into the news this week. That, that uh, truth, unchanging moral truths are the keys to human happiness and social prospering. And I think that's really interesting because many of these keys are truths that are passed down generation to generation to generation, but we live in a generation that believes that the old ways are silly ways and irrelevant ways. Do you know what I'm talking about? Today we are told by people that think they know better that rules are random that morality is subjective, that here in 2023, we are so advanced that we are free to shake off anything that might feel oppressive because we're so wise in 2023. In fact, our leading educational institutions are telling us, and this is a quote, leading educational institutions are saying, we can build a new universe based on our own reasoning, unbound from rules and roles that have been passed down to us. 
This is what are being taught in places like Harvard and, and other leading educational institutions. And I would say, again, this morning, when legends, myths, fantasies, and lies collide with the truth, a great awakening can be launched. And I believe that maybe this great awakening is going to begin to be launched in the year that is ahead of us as we begin to collide with the great truths that have been handed down to us. So what I want to challenge you with today is just very simple. Friends, get ready. Get ready for the truth collision that is coming. If you have your notes this morning, I want to start by sharing with you why truth matters. I want to give you three reasons. There's lots of reasons why truth matters, but I want to share three with you today. And then I'm going to share with you how we can be ready. If a collision is really on its way, how do we be ready for that collision? And then we're going to end this morning with sharing in communion. So I got a lot to do in a short amount of time. You ready? Here we go. Here's reason number one why truth matters. Number one, truth matters because truth brings you to God. Truth brings you to God. Here's what Jesus said. He was talking to one of his disciples, who now we call Doubting Thomas. Do you know why they called him Doubting Thomas? Because he doubted. And so here's what, here's what Jesus said. Duh. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is a really interesting saying of Jesus. We use it a lot of times to talk about how you get to heaven. How do you get to heaven? You get to heaven through Jesus, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But interesting, if you look at this carefully, does Jesus say this is how you come to heaven? What's he say? You come to the Father through the way, the truth, and the life who is Jesus. And it turns out, if you think about this carefully, Jesus does more than just make sure that we get to heaven when we die. Jesus brings us to the Father. In fact, listen, the Father is the destination. The Father is the destination. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. But for a lot of people, this sounds so old-fashioned. After all, in these, in these days, we are encouraged to speak our own truth. Have you heard people say that? Why don't you speak your truth? I will speak my truth. And if my truth and your truth don't really align, it's no big deal because after all, we don't really know what's really true. And, and we hear this a lot in our culture. In fact, I was watching some coverage of some trial, I don't even remember what it was, and the, and the, um, the lawyer asked his client on the, on the stand, why don't you tell us your truth? And I thought, that is such a strange thing to say in a court of law. Don't we need to hear the truth? When we're in? But this is the world we live in where there is no objective truth. Jesus made it clear that there is objective truth, that he is the embodiment of an objective truth, and that truth brings you to the Father. 
Now think about this. If truth brings you to God, denying the truth brings you to chaos. Denying the truth will bring you to chaos. And we are seeing chaos eat our culture. If you're paying attention, you know what's been happening. And it's been happening for a long time. I mean, listen, guys, if you're my age or older, we can't blame it all on the millennials. Because it was our generation that said, if it feels good, do it. Remember that? How's that been going for us? Fatherlessness is at an all-time high. And we are watching the consequences of fatherlessness in our culture literally eat our culture as kids are growing up and they don't have men in their lives. Young people in our culture today are surgically altering their bodies because they're experiencing gender dysphoria. And what we're seeing increasingly in our culture is people rising up and saying, I regret doing this. It hasn't made my life better. In fact, it's made my life worse. These kinds of things are eating our culture. I don't have to tell you, the divorce rate is sky high. And it's the same among people who say they're Christians as it is people who are non-Christians. There's something really, really wrong, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have decided that there is no truth that we need to align our lives with. And it's causing this irreparable decay. I was watching a a video as I was scrolling through my social media feed the other day of a dog and its owner put an apple on the floor. My dog loves apples. In fact, my dog, um, we have an apple tree in the backyard. If he can reach them, he will pick the apples off the tree. He loves apples now. And in, in this video, this owner put an apple on the floor in front of their little dachshund and said, do not touch that apple. And the dachshund looked up at their owner and just wagged its tail and just looked at the apple and looked at the owner and just sat there. And then, and then the owner walked out of the room. On his way out, he said, don't eat the apple. And as soon as he was gone, the dog sat there for about two seconds. And then what did the dog do? <laughs> Ate the apple. <laughs> now listen, we have better brains than a dachshund. You don't believe me? (laughs) But in so many ways, we have decided that we are so much stronger than our God who created all of this. We're so much wiser. We're so much more advanced than the generations that have gone ahead of us that we've just decided we can shake off anything we don't like and we're going to eat the apple whether anybody's watching or not. And I, I, I want to I tell you, listen, we better get ready for the truth collision because I believe it's coming. And there's going to be a shifting. There's going to be a change. The first reason truth matters is because truth brings you to God. Here's number two. This is good news. Second reason truth matters is because truth brings you freedom. Truth brings you freedom. Here's another thing Jesus said in John chapter 8. 
Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth brings you freedom. But so many of us believe that that's not necessarily accurate. Some of us believe that there's, if there's absolute truth and if there's something I need to align myself to, it, it takes my freedom away. So what does this mean? Well, in this, in this passage, John chapter 8, Jesus was speaking to a group of Jews who had been in bondage to their traditional religion. These Jewish people believed that their traditions were the most important things. And what Jesus was pointing out was that they had actually become slaves to the lies of tradition. It wasn't rooted in truth. It was just rooted in tradition. And here's what you and I need to know. If we reject truth, we become slaves to a lie. And lies enslave us. We find ourselves obeying a master that we really, really didn't want to obey. Freedom doesn't mean that you unhinge yourself from reality or that you unshackle yourself from the wisdom that has been passed down to us generationally. Quoting Pope Benedict again, he said, freedom is not an opting out. Freedom is an opting in. When you opt into truth, what you find is that you're really free. What are you free to do? Or what are you free? Well, you're free to understand who God created you to be. You're, you're free to be yourself as God created you to be. You can't really know yourself or be yourself unless you receive the truth from Jesus of what that means. So I want to ask us a question today. Who does God say that you are? There's a lot of voices in the world today telling us who we are. But who does God say that you are? I was, I was just praying about this this morning. I was sitting in my, in my prayer chair. And I said, God... Who do you say that I am? And I don't think he was speaking just to me. I think he was speaking to you as well. You know the first thing I heard Father say? I heard him say, you are loved by your Father. You are loved by your Father. And so what that does, that truth frees me from the slavery of self-loathing. Anybody in the room struggle with self-loathing? You need to know that your father loves you. And that self-loathing is a lie that has enslaved you. The truth sets you free. God, who do you say that I am? Next thing that I heard God say to me is that he makes me right or he makes me forgiven. And what that does is that frees me from the lie that tells me that I am disconnected from God and I can't, I can't really connect to him. If I'm right, 
If Jesus has forgiven me, what that means is I can be freely connected to the God that my soul craves. Somebody here needs to hear this. You've been, you've been weighed down by guilt and shame, and the truth says Jesus has made you right in God's eyes. Nothing you've done, nothing you've earned, it's just the work of Jesus. He's made you right, and you are free to connect to him because he's good. And, and he's given you this amazing gift. God, who do you say that I am? The next thing I heard him say, this one's cool. I heard him say, my son, you are righteous. You are righteous. Jesus has made you righteous. What does that truth do? That truth sets me free from the lie that I am bound to do bad things, that I can't stop doing the things that I hate. Anybody else in that boat? Do you ever do things that you swore you would never do again? Am I the only one? Okay. Come on. If Jesus says you are righteous, it means you can live in the freedom to do the things that you really want to do instead of all of that crap you've been doing your whole life. He sets you free to be who he created you to be. Now, we could probably just sit in his presence and listen. Maybe this afternoon, some of you, if this is revolutionary to you, that the truth sets you free, you might just need to sit in the presence of your father today and say, God, who do you say that I am? Set me free. God, set me free from the lies that have kept me in bondage all these years. Because the truth will set you free to be who you really are. Is this resonating with anybody? Absolutely. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this is going to be a part of what I'm saying is to get ready for the truth collision. There's a freedom that's coming when we collide with the truth. Now here's the third reason I think truth is so important. Truth brings you happiness. Truth brings you happiness. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn to the book of Proverbs? It's just about right in the middle of your Bible. If you've got a, a paper Bible, you might land in Psalms, and then you can go a little bit to the right to get to Proverbs. Or if you've got an electronic Bible, uh, it's easy to find. Pro I, want, I want you to see Proverbs chapters 9 and 10. I don't have the time this morning to read everything, but I want you to see it on your page, Proverbs 9 and 10. Proverbs 9 is a great chapter in the Bible. And if you just kind of scan down uh, Proverbs chapter 9, what you'll see is that there's a part in the beginning that talks about wisdom. Wisdom is an Old Testament word that is similar to truth. It's not exactly the same, but truth and wisdom are in, interrelated. Wisdom actually means when you live your life according to the truth. It's talking more about behavior than it is belief. And at the beginning of Proverbs chapter 9, uh, this writer personifies wisdom like a lady. He says, wisdom is this lady who has built herself a house with seven pillars. In other words, this is a big house. It's a solid house. It's built on a solid foundation. And this lady wisdom is inviting all of us to come in and eat and drink of her wisdom. 
And, and the implication of this section of this chapter is if you, will, if you will absorb wisdom, eat and drink wisdom, and let that guide your life, you're going to be set on a firm foundation. Then the last half of the chapter, if you scan down, uh, the author does the same thing. There's another lady, but her name is Folly or foolishness. And this lady is also inviting all of us to come into her home. And, and she wants us to come and, and eat and drink deeply of her foolishness. And, and this is what she says in verse 17. I think it's so significant. If you've got your Bible open, you can see it. Uh, Folly says, stolen water is refreshing. Food eaten in secret tastes the best. In other words, what Folly is doing is she's inviting us to come in and do stupid things because it feels good and it tastes good. Have you been there? Okay, lots of us have. But the next verse is so important. It says, little do these people know that go in to the house of Folly that dead people are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. In other words, what this chapter is saying is that if you live your life wisely, there's goodness coming to you. If you live your life foolishly, there's nothing but death and destruction coming to you. Now, sandwiched in the middle of these two stories are these very important verses, and these are up on your screen. Tells us what wisdom is. Verse 10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. Oh, isn't that good news? If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. And this is why I say truth brings you happiness. Another way to say it is if you live wisely, your life is going to be good. I came across an opinion piece this week in the Wall Street Journal. It was a piece written by a psychologist. His name is Jonathan Haidt. And, and this particular psychologist has been studying Generation Z people, okay, Lots of people have been talking about millennials, and now it's Generation Z's turn. Generation Z is defined as people who were born between 1997 and 2012. And so the oldest, the oldest people in this generation, if I'm doing the math right, about 26? About that, 25? Okay. So 25 and younger are Generation Z. Here's what this psychologist says. He says, when you look at Americans born after 1995, what you find is that they have extraordinarily high rates of anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicide, and fragility. There has never been a generation this depressed, this anxious, and this fragile. Horrifying, right? I see some of you shaking your heads. This psychologist, as he's been studying, traces this back to about 2013 when depression rates among young people began to spike. What happened in 2013? That's the year that Facebook acquired Instagram and that particular social media platform took off among young people. That's also about the time, a little bit before, that uh, Apple developed its front-facing camera 
and the selfie generation was born. And what happened is scores of young people who were just in their middle teens at this point, they were living their lives on Instagram, taking selfies and comparing themselves to other people. This psychologist says that it's girls more than boys who are drawn to these visual platforms like Instagram and TikTok. And, and he says, these platforms are about display and performance. You post your perfect life, and then you flip through the photos of other girls who have a more perfect life, and then you get depressed because you can't compete. He calls this phenomenon compare and despair. And then he says, it seems social because you're communicating with people, but it's not social, it's performative. You don't actually get social relationships. You get weak, fake social links. Fascinating. And listen, social media is driving the philosophy that feelings are more important than truth. This is one of the things that is transforming our culture. This idea that how I feel inside defines everything for me. And what it's resulting is, is depression and suicidality. Because we've become convinced that how I feel is all that matters. When Jesus says the truth will lead you to happiness, will set you free. If you've got your Bibles open, flip over to Proverbs chapter 10. Let me just read some of the verses from Proverbs chapter 10. Verse 1 says, A wise child brings joy to a father, and a foolish child brings grief to a mother. Verse 5, A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. Verse 8, the wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. Verse 17, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction will go astray. Verse 25, when the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away, but the godly have a lasting foundation. Wisdom blesses your family. Wisdom blesses your bank account. Wisdom blesses your friends and colleagues. Wisdom blesses your whole life. And this is why I say truth brings you happiness. It was interesting this morning when, when we were getting ready to come to church, I flipped on the CBS Sunday morning show. Do any of you watch the CBS Sunday morning show? Their lead, their lead um, Topic this morning was a, a psychologist who has made his life studying happiness. And, and, I, and so I'm just glued to the TV this morning. What's this guy have to say about happiness? One of the things that he said was there's two kinds of happiness. He said there's momentary happiness that is fleeting. Okay, I'm happy today because I love standing in front of you teaching God's word. Makes me happy. But this afternoon, if I get a, in a big fight with my wife, I'm not going to be happy. Okay. That's, that's momentary happiness. But he said there's a different kind of happiness. There's an abiding, deep, deep happiness that overarches your whole life in which you have this settledness and say, my life is good. There is an overwhelming goodness about my life. There's actually a Bible word for that. Do you know what that is? It's the word blessed. 
Joy is another good word. And so actually, if I were taking notes like you are, I'd cross out happiness and put in blessed instead. Because truth brings you blessing. Kelly said truth brings you joy. Joy is different than happiness because joy pervades your life. It's not based on your circumstances or your externals. It's based on living in the presence of God, living in truth and letting him fill your life with a joy that doesn't even make sense. Because it comes because you're connected to the Father. Truth brings you blessing. Brings you joy. It's good, isn't it? Listen, get ready. Get ready for the truth collision. Let me wrap up with this and then we're going to share in communion. If those of you that are serving you want to get ready, that'd be great. I mentioned earlier in my message that I was listening to a podcast that was talking about truth. Got me thinking about it all this week. This particular podcaster used to say, I don't hear him say it very often anymore, but he used to say, facts don't care about your feelings. (laughs) Used to bug me whenever he'd say that because it's so insensitive. And I know that Jesus does care about your feelings. And if it's true that our culture is on a collision course with truth, then we've got to get ready to help people find hope and healing. When I, get say, get, when, when I say get ready for the truth collision, what I want us collectively to do is get ready to help people find hope and healing. A lot of people in our lives, right here in the Gallatin Valley, you've got family members, you've got coworkers who are living in despair and depression, and they've ruined their lives because they've walked away from truth. And when they collide with truth and realize that nothing is going well for them, they've got to make a change. What's my responsibility? I stand in the gap to bring them hope and healing because I know the truth. Friends, you know the truth. And so when people come to you and say, mama, what do I do? You've gotta be ready to bring them hope and healing. Here's what the Bible says, this is how we do it. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. Listen, if we just look down our noses and say, truth doesn't care about your feelings, doesn't help anybody, just makes them feel shame and, and, and isolation. We just lost the lights. Oh, I think it's you, Tyler. I think you just leaned on the light switch. Too much light. There we go. Nah, there we go. Ah. Can we be people who just weep with those who weep? Weep with those who weep. Here's another great verse from the New Testament about what we do. Brothers and sisters, 
Even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to, say the word, restore such a person in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you aren't tempted as well. Next slide, if you would, please. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Get ready because you and I are going to help people find hope and healing when they collide with the truth. Are you ready? Are we ready? Love and gentleness and compassion. It's what's going to make all the difference in the world.